I invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10. Last week we had an emphasis on mission. And so it's been a few weeks since I've been able to uh, open up the scripture in Mark's gospel and work through a text with you. Uh, today we're going to be working through a short passage uh, in conjunction with the Lord's table, but an important text. And I want to take the time uh, to work through these four verses uh, that we're going to be looking at today. We're in a section where Jesus is giving some continued teaching or expanded teaching after the disciples had failed. Uh, they'd failed in that Jesus had predicted his own death and then they started asking questions about who would be the greatest among them. They were quite insensitive, perhaps ignorant to what was going on in Jesus' life. But that leads Jesus to teach them more about relationships and how they relate to other people uh, as followers of his it teaches, it taught them, uh, we saw a few weeks ago, uh, it teaches them about the permanence of marriage. If you're going to be a follower of mine, you need to see marriage as being permanent and lasting. It goes back to Genesis to remind us of God's intent for marriage. And then, as we get to our text, he has this section about children, right before a section uh, of expanded teaching about wealth. And so, uh, with you this morning, I want to Look at these verses together. If you're physically able to do so, I'd ask you to stand with me out of respect for the word as I read it out loud for us. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. I'll read it out loud. You just follow along there. It says, And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray together. Father, we would pray that you would help us to, to truly understand what this text is all about. May we be able to make uh, application uh, to our own lives and, and our church and our neighbors. And Lord, we're thankful for what Jesus says about children in this text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may have a seat. Now, uh, as you hear a preacher read through four verses like this, you might stop and ask yourself, like, well, how much will he actually even be able to say about this? Uh, well, you know, don't test me, okay? So uh, we'll see how much we can say. Uh, how much can you actually say about four verses like this, a short story? I think that there are some important things that we can gather before the table here today. Before we get right into the content of the story, I want to ask you one question, or I want, I want us to focus on one subject that demands our attention. The subject is why. Why did, did Mark include these verses, this story, in this place in his gospel? I mean, he had all kinds of different narratives in Jesus' life he could have included here. What is Mark's main purpose in this story? Uh, I think it's important to ask why sometimes. Uh, when I first came into the area, I would ask why a lot about like certain roads and bridges and why they were where they were. Uh, it didn't seem to make a lot of sense to ask why about traffic. But, but you know, some of the bridges, you know, that you consider, the, the longer that I'm here, the more I realize why they put bridges where they did. Oftentimes there's a road or community uh, or maybe a base on one side of a bay or river. And then on the other side is a major interstate. Okay, so the longer I'm here, I say, okay, that bridge is to connect the two. 
I think it's important when you're going through Scripture to ask why. Why is this text here? As I see it, there are two main possibilities as to why these four verses are in the, the text. One reason might be to emphasize again the dullness of the disciples. Um, we've seen this in different places. Um, I don't think you have to look too hard in this text as well to see that they're dull and that they fail. You remember their failure with bread? They failed once with five loaves and 5,000 men, seven loaves and 4,000 men, then one loaf and 13 men in a boat. Uh, if you remember when we talked about that several weeks ago, I said it's like they failed one test and two makeup tests when it comes to bread. So in this text, let's, let's look at Jesus' teaching. Uh, this morning for our mission spotlight, I read Mark 9, 36 and 37. Uh, So just a chapter before this text, in verse 37, we'll just read that text. Mark 9, 37, Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now look at 10, 13, Mark 10, 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, And the disciples did what? They rebuked the parents, those who were bringing the children to Jesus. And so this might be another case of failing a test, right? Disciples are quite dull. And Jesus' response to them is is very strong. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But, But their failure allows Jesus to emphasize an important point in these four verses... And more time is given in this short story, these four verses, and the following story to a different emphasis that I think is the main reason why Mark put this here. The main purpose that Mark had in putting this here is to emphasize how one enters the kingdom of God. You say, well, that's your opinion. Not really. I want you to see a few things in the text. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. Okay, and I'm going to emphasize a few things when I read to you. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do do not hinder them, for to such belongs the, what? Kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, and he's going to expand on this, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. See, what Jesus is emphasizing in this story is how one enters The kingdom of God. It's right there in the text. You see in verse 15, shall not enter it. This is not only the theme in this passage, however, it's in the next passage too. The next text is about a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks what he should do to inherit eternal life. Jesus explains it to him, and next week we'll talk more about this. But after he's done, he turns to the disciples and look in your Bible at verse 23. Mark 10, 23. Everyone look down in your Bibles at verse 23. And again, I'm going to emphasize a few things when I read. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to do what? Enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to Enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
And so as we come to these texts, both of these passages, the text about a child, children being brought to Jesus, and the text about a rich young ruler are about entering the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have time to go back to Mark chapter 9 this morning and, uh, and look at that text, but if you remember in verses 43, 45, and 47, I made the point that to enter the kingdom, when Jesus says that in these texts, he's talking about entering into eternal life in heaven. It's the opposite of going to hell. He's talking about going to heaven, entering the kingdom of God. And so this story in verses 13 through 16 that we'll look at today, I believe is less about the disciples and their dullness. It's more about the children and what they can teach us about entering the kingdom of God. Now I want to look at this story in its two parts with you. So uh, this will go pretty quickly this morning. There are two parts to this story. At first, in verses 13 and 14, we see parents, disciples, and Jesus disputing. Verses 13 and 14. In the first two verses here, we learn that parents were bringing children to Jesus... I want to make a few observations about this, just so it's really clear in our minds what's going on. First of all, I had Thomas Swope a little while ago read to us a parallel passage in Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, the translators translate the word children as even infants, little infants. I think what we see when we compare the two texts together, that, that the sort of children we're talking about here are very small infants, maybe even babies. The other thing I want to emphasize in the text to help us understand what's going on here is uh, it says, the text says they were bringing children. The they there is in reference, I think, to parents or family or friends. Okay? So you got someone like parents bringing small children, maybe babies, to Jesus, and they're bringing them to Jesus not for a healing. Okay? There are plenty of other places in the New Testament where parents bring a child to Jesus to be healed. But if you look at the text, you look at verses 13 through 16, you, say, you see they are bringing babies or infants to Jesus so that he might touch them, verse 16, so that he might lay his hands on them and bless them. Okay, so they're bringing children to Jesus for a blessing. Now that might not make much sense in our culture today. We, we don't often do this, okay, where we take like a child to someone to receive a blessing from them. But in ancient times, in both Jewish and Greco-Roman cultures, this was a very common practice and a high value for them. So, for instance, you look in your Old Testament Bible, you start looking around and you see Noah blesses uh, two of his sons, Shem and Japheth. Uh, you could see Jacob blessing his children and grandchildren, Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau. And so in the Jewish culture, this is a very important practice. In the Greco-Roman world, it was important too. It would be very normal for parents to bring their child to a, an orator or a sophist, a, a wise one, to receive a word of instruction and a special blessing from that person. And so in this text, parents are bringing infants to Jesus to receive a blessing. The disciples, however, would have none of it, right? Right? They're standing in the way of it. 
The text actually uses a very strong word to, to see, you know, to show. I mean, it's a, it's a short description. This is, and the disciples rebuked them. Okay, the word rebuked is a word that the last time we would have seen it in Mark's gospel would have been where an exorcist rebuked a demon. Strong word. Now, we don't know exactly why the disciples are rebuking parents here. Uh, it may be that they think that babies or infants would just be too distracting or too disruptive for Jesus. I mean, after all, Jesus has got to preach a message from his father on high for adults. They need to hear it. Babies crying, whining, going to be too distracting. Or maybe they had a view of children that they saw them as being less important than adults. I think that this could be possible as well because there was an ancient disregard for children in their day. Children had no rights or privileges. They were normally looked upon with very little sympathy. In other words, I, I think our modern tenderness toward children was not a value in first century culture in which they lived. Today, we, we put videos of starving and disfigured children together to get support for re- relief organizations. Uh, it's kind of a running joke that politicians, if they're going to receive votes in our culture today, they will hold and kiss babies and infants. Yet in, in their day, unwanted babies could be discarded on trash heaps outside of many of the villages or cities in the first century. And so maybe the disciples have been unknowingly influenced by cultural values. Regardless here, Jesus responds harshly to them. The text says he becomes indignant. He becomes indignant. Which means his anger rose to the surface, was aroused. And then he issues two commands. He says, let the children come to me. These are the orders to the disciples. Let them come to me. And do not stop them. Before we go any farther in the text here, I think we can learn one important thing about Jesus here, and that is Jesus loves little children. No question about it. I learned a song when I was a small little child that my parents taught me. Jesus loves the little children. Okay. Have you heard this song before? I don't know who hasn't. Hopefully most people in our culture has. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. Men and women, indeed, Jesus loves the children of the world. Sadly, however, many people don't follow Jesus' love for children. So, so far in this text, verses 13 and 14, we've seen parents, disciples, and Jesus disputing about whether children should be allowed to come to Jesus for a blessing. That leads Jesus to teach. That's the second point. Jesus is teaching in verses 15 and 16. Look, verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So it's normal in Mark's gospel, Jesus is teaching here. He teaches with both his words and his actions. His words found in verse 15. His tender actions and embrace of children in verse 16. 
I think Jesus' most significant moment of instruction, in my opinion, comes in verse 15. And it's here that we learn that this, not, this text is not just about Jesus loves children. It's more than that. This text is about what children can teach us about becoming a follower of Jesus. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is he's using children and this experience to illustrate the only, the only way that anyone will be able to enter the kingdom of God. I like what one old commentator said about this passage, Warren Wearsby, in a book called Be Diligent. I don't normally read Wearsby that much, but this powerful statement here, he says, he says, we tell children to behave like adults, but Jesus tells adults to model themselves after the children. More specifically here, I think, I believe that Christ is teaching that if one is to enter his kingdom, he or she will need to be vulnerable and completely dependent upon him, like these infants or babies. In other words, these children illustrate those who are lowly, broken, and contrite, who receive God's grace and enter his kingdom. I think what Jesus says here is similar to a whole host of other passages that you might know. I think it's similar to what he says about the kingdom of God and those who inherit the kingdom of God in the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 and 10, he talks about those who inherit the kingdom of God, and this is how he describes them. He first says, those who are poor in spirit enter the kingdom of God. Then in verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In the Luke passage that Thomas read this morning, just before our story about children, there's a story about a Pharisee who was convinced of his own righteousness, his own acts, of works of self-righteousness, but then there was also a tax collector. Remember this? Just read this. What did the tax collector do? By the way, tax collectors were the low level of society. People didn't like them. They're like the first century IRS agents. Only they invoked unfair, unchecked practices at times. People didn't like them. The Pharisees, convinced of his own righteousness, his own fasting, his own acts, his own prayer, the tax collector won't look his eyes up to heaven, beats continually upon his breast, and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The point of these texts, men and women, is God does not accept anyone into his kingdom on the basis of his own work or righteousness. But it's the person who comes to God like a little child, completely dependent, poor and needy, desperate in his own sin, thus dependent upon Christ. Can't help but think of the testimony, the salvation testimony of the Apostle Paul that's recorded later in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul comes to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. I want you just to hear his account of his testimony in Philippians 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Philippians 3, verse 4. Paul says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And listen to this. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That won't do. But that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The Apostle Paul illustrates this in his own life. He could have been like that Pharisee, convinced of his own righteousness. He says, no, I made an exchange. All those works would do nothing for me. Now I hold to the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith in him alone. Paul, the apostle, is accepted by Jesus So this morning, I ask you, if you come to Jesus as a small child, humble, desperate in your sin, dependent on him, believing that he can forgive your sins. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Perhaps you're here today, and you've never come to Jesus Desperate like a small child who needs help, deliverance from your sin. I encourage you to do that. In a moment, we're going to spend some time in prayer before the Lord's table. I encourage you at that point to say, Lord, I come to you as a small child. I can't help myself. I'm full of sin. Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus, the only one who can save you. And if you've already done this, men and women, This is our message. This is what we proclaim. Come to Jesus as a desperate, needy child, and you will enter the kingdom of God.